We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, it's the day after Easter, and I want to discuss what the skeptics say about the resurrection. I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. What do they say about this story that Christ actually rose from the grave? Was it myth, or was it real and true and accurate history? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Well, it's the day after Easter. It's Monday. This show is actually taking place the day after Easter. And as you know, on Good Friday, the last episode of last week, I decided to try to share with you the good news, the good news of the gospel, that Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And that this just isn't interesting religious metaphor. It's not just a nice story. That this this is a historical fact. That we have evidence, real evidence, that Jesus rose from the grave. And if you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, how is that possible? Uh, people don't rise from the grave. That just doesn't happen. The disciples wanted it to happen. They may have thought that it happened, but it couldn't have happened. This, this can't be true. If that's what you're thinking as you're listening right now, what I'd like to do is set the stage to give you the evidence that it is true and how skeptics over the ages, over the centuries, and even recently, people like Lee Strobel, who's a current scholar, who was a serious skeptic, an atheist, who was a writer for the Washington, uh, not the Washington, but the, the Chicago Tribune, and an investigative reporter, uh, s- certainly uh, an atheist. He decided to look into the story of Christ. Bottom line on Lee Strobel, his wife had converted. She had become a Christian, and it turned their marriage upside down. He saw the difference in his wife's life, and he at first was offended by it, but he then became intrigued by it, and he decided to look into it himself. He approached it with the eye of an investigative reporter, a skeptic. This can't be true. My wife has lost her mind. She's actually worshiping a man that they claim rose from the grave. Well, that doesn't happen. He knew as an an investigative reporter that when somebody dies, they're dead. They don't come back to life. So he looked into the story and he started investigating it as he would any other criminal scene. And he concluded at the end of his investigation that the story was true. Like C.S. Lewis before him, like G.K. Chesterton, like Josh McDowell, like several others, the, the, the story of Christ, the biblical account of his death, burial, and resurrection actually resulted in convincing Lee Strobel that Jesus is real. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is who he claims to be. And I use the present tense there, not the past tense, because Jesus is alive today. If he rose from the grave, then he's still alive. He is who he claims to be. He proved his claims, the veracity of his ministry, 
by the ultimate act, and that is the great I am, the, the creator of all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was created that wasn't created by him. This is the story of Christ. He's not just an interesting sage. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He didn't uh, fake his death and then escape the tomb and flee to India or Egypt, which is what some will try to tell you. No, the facts are there. And the facts are irrefutable. And I'm going to share some of those facts with you today. I may extend this discussion into a couple successive shows this week. So again, today's show is evidence of the resurrection. Because I don't want to just celebrate Easter and then move on to the negative news. Because this is the most important news of the day. It's the most important news of the century. It's the most important news of the millennia. It's the most important news in the history of the world. Because if this is true, all else pivots on this reality, this fact, that Jesus was born, he walked the earth, he was God incarnate, he proved his claims and the claims of others about him by rising from the grave. And if that's, if that's all true, it should change everything. Change everything about the way you think, what you believe, how you behave. It should change everything about you, about me. It should change everything about our culture, our country, and the world. And in fact, it has. Because without the salt and light of the gospel, our culture and our world would be a very dark and rotting and decaying place. And we see evidence of that in the news where people have decided to walk away from this story, ignore it, disparage it, mock it, malign it. It doesn't end well. It never ends well. It becomes very ugly. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to share with you a little bit more about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. What I'm going to do for the rest of the show here is I'm going to review a little bit of information that I shared with you last week on Good Friday. And um, I'm going to contextualize that, put it in the context of George Barna's research with regard to the percentage of Americans who now claim to be Christians. And then I'm going to use Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And we're going to cover the swoon theory today. The theory of the skeptics who claim that Jesus' death was a sham, and that his resurrection was therefore a hoax. Because if the whole idea of him dying on the cross is, is a lie, if it's a sham, then obviously he didn't rise from the grave because he wasn't dead in the first place. Some people call this the swoon theory. And I'll get into that further. Maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe it's captivated you. Maybe you think, well, there, maybe, that, maybe that's true. Maybe that's really what did happen. Because you can't just accept the fact that a guy rose from the grave because that doesn't happen. There has to be an alter, alternate, not ulterior, well, maybe al ulterior too. There has to be an alternate explanation for this. If you're a materialist, like most of us are, because we've been raised in a materialistic culture, you're looking for the, um, the materialistic explanation because you're 
tendency is to discount miracles, because miracles can't happen. That would be Richard Dawkins, that would be Christopher Hitchens, that would be a lot of the neo-atheists right now. They're materialists. They can't accept anything that is supernatural because they don't believe in the supernatural. All they believe in is matter. All they believe in is what you can touch and taste and see, feel, and hear, the empirical. And if it's not empirical, then it's not real. And as I've said before, nobody really believes that. You don't believe it, and I don't believe it. Because if that's the way you think, and if you think if you can't touch it, touch it, excuse me, taste it, see it, hear it, if you can't experience it with your senses, then it's just not so, well, then you couldn't prove anything in terms of values. You couldn't prove that rape is wrong or that slavery is bad or the Holocaust wasn't a good thing because those are moral judgments. Those are moral realities. And I would hope that everybody listening to me right now would conclude that all of those things were really bad, really evil. And I use the word really there intentionally because really is what? It's a derivative of the word real. So the Holocaust was really bad. So was slavery and so is rape. You know these things to be true, but you can't prove them in a test tube. There's something, there's something beyond that. There's something beyond the material that helps you understand reality. Well, let's get back to this resurrection story. As I as I shared with you last week, there are a lot of people that have said the resurrection is the pivot point. It's the central issue of Christianity. If we don't believe in the resurrection, then there is no such thing as a Christian. Christianity is nothing but a ruse. It's fake. It's the opium of the masses, as we're told by Karl Marx. All right. Well, I obviously don't believe that, and I'd like you to think otherwise, too. I'd like you to to join me in celebrating the resurrection as a fact rather than buying into this fairy tale that the resurrection is nothing but a ruse, that it's make-believe, that it doesn't actually have any historical veracity. So George Barna tells us in some of his recent research that more than two-thirds of American adults presently define themselves as Christians. So I can only conclude that if you're listening to me right now, that you are likely somebody that defines yourself as a Christian because two-thirds of all American adults do, and I can conclude that at least two-thirds of you, and probably more by virtue of your self-selection listening into this show, identify as Christians, define yourself as being Christians. So with that being the case, let's, let's assume it's safe to uh, to uh, conclude that millions of folks in the United States and obviously around the world still care about what I've argued recently, and many people would agree with, if not almost everybody, care about what's indisputably a key premise of Christianity, the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is not a fairy tale. It's not just political propaganda. It's not merely a religious metaphor. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an actual event that took place in real time nearly 2,000 years ago. Hundreds of witnesses initially attested to it. Yes, the Bible tells us that. It just wasn't just the two Marys at the tomb, and it wasn't just the small group of disciples. No, we're told in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, that Jesus appeared to at least 500 people. 500. Say that. One more time, 500 people witnessed Jesus, and Paul even 
Paul even says that many of those people are still alive and among us. So he's basically saying, when he wrote that to the church of Corinth, you know, 500 people at least witnessed Jesus after the resurrection, and a lot of them are still alive, so go ask them. They'll confirm the story. They'll tell you that what I'm sharing with you is true. That's important. That's a very important fact in terms of the resurrection narrative. And the early, early creeds, the earliest creed, some would argue, of the Christian church. So bottom line is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. It's not propaganda, and it's not just a nice metaphor. No, it's a historical fact. So we've, we've seen this in the Gospels. <clears throat> You've got the historical counts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, three of whom suffered torturous deaths, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were told by tradition that John died a natural death on the island of Patmos, but were also told that he was boiled in oil. I mean, they tried to kill him, and he, he survived some of the torture. So these guys told you this story in the midst of terrible persecution. And you have to ask the question, why? Why would they, why would they do this? Now, some have suggested that a lot of people have died for something that they believed to be true. They would say that the guys who flew the planes into the towers on 9-11 died for something they believed to be true. So the fact that these apostles, these disciples of Jesus Christ, suffered violent deaths is no proof of the veracity of their belief. Well, okay, that may be a legitimate point that people have died and do die for something that they believe to be true. But who do you know that actually will die for something they know to be a lie? It's a big difference here. These guys were first-hand witnesses. Now, if this story of the resurrection of Jesus wasn't true, if they were making it up, they knew that it was a lie. By definition, they knew that it was a lie. They were the ones that were lying about it. So there's a big difference between a Muslim who flies a plane into a building and kills himself for something that he believes to be true, and the apostles suffering martyrs' deaths for something that they knew was a lie? No, no, it's not the same thing. There's a difference between dying for something that you believe to be true and dying for something that you know to be false because you're the one who made up the falsehood. You're the one who started the lie. So you need to think of that as we get into this issue of the swoon theory. And again, what is the swoon theory? It's the theory that Jesus faked his death, and likewise the apostles faked his death. And they took him off the cross. They recognized that he really hadn't died yet. They hid him away in a tomb, and three days later, he gets up and starts walking around and teaching and leading this movement, this, this movement that changed the world. It was all a faked death that he merely swooned. He fainted, and he was given time to resuscitate, and therefore when he did, he was able to teach for a few days among them, and then they, they ushered him off to India or off to Egypt, literally. That's what they say. That's, that, that's what they say about where Jesus ended up and then ultimately died in India or in Egypt. But before we get into that, I want to repeat myself. The, the account of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would argue, is historical. It's not a fable. And the proof of that is these guys gave their lives for that truth. They would not have given their lives for a fable that they themselves had created. 
the Apostle Paul comes along later and he gives his life for the same thing. And in fact, he tells us, I cited the scripture for you last week, in the epistle of 1 Corinthians, he says, if, the, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Close quote, St. Paul, when he wrote to the church of Corinth. And there are some people who will say that this was written in the 30s, that, that this was written in just a handful of years after the events that he's talking about. So when you, when you hear this stuff about how this was created decades and decades or centuries later, no, there is historical evidence, there's textual criticism that allows you to go back and look at that particular statement. When was it made? When were those things said? And there are scholars that can point back to the likelihood that what I just read to you was actually authored. It was written by Paul in the 30s, in the 30s, a handful of years after the very events that he's talking about. So the point is this. It is pretty clear that without the resurrection, Christianity is a pointless waste of time. Paul just said it. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in Christ we have hope only for this life, and in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. Why? Because we're believing a lie. It's a joke. And we've given our entire lives over to something that we know to be fake? No. It makes no sense. That makes no sense. Logically, it makes no sense. I don't buy that argument. Okay, so if you don't believe in the resurrection, I don't think you can go there by saying that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, Peter, and others actually knew that it was fake. No, they didn't think it was fake. They believed it was true, and they gave their lives for it, and they were firsthand witnesses to this stuff. Without the resurrection, Christianity is pointless. It's a waste of time. It's a ruse. It's a lie. And there would be no such thing as a Christian at all if we don't believe in the veracity of the resurrection of Christ. Okay, I read several quotes to you last week. D.L. Moody echoed this. He echoed the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, the resurrection is the keystone of the ark upon which our faith is supported. If Christ has not risen, we must impeach all of those witnesses, the apostles, Paul, etc., for lying. If Christ has not risen, we have no proof that the crucifixion of Jesus differed from that of the two thieves who suffered with him. If Christ has not not risen, it is impossible to believe his atoning death was accepted. All right, I, I read several other quotes to you. The point is this, and I'll use this as a segue so we can spend the last couple minutes on the swoon theory. Christians don't claim Christianity because God promises that we will live a more pleasant life than atheists do. Well, that's obvious because all the apostles, like I said, suffered torture. All of them, with the exception of one, we're told, John again, with the exception of John, suffered martyrs' deaths. And even John suffered great torture. Jesus died on a cross, perhaps the most torturous death. And that's what I'm going to explain to you right now in terms of the swoon theory. Lee Strobel says, we don't come to Christ because we believe that he's giving us a more pleasant life. 
here on earth. No, we become Christians because the evidence is so compelling that Jesus really is the only, the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. Close quote, Lee Strobel. Well, what I want to do right now is use Lee Strobel's book. It's an excellent book. It's called The Case for Christ. And one of the chapters in the book is called The Medical Evidence. Was Jesus's death a sham? His resurrection a hoax? And Strobel asks this question, resurrection or resuscitation? That's the headline for that particular section of this chapter, resurrection or resuscitation. Now, what what does that mean? Well, there's a theory out there that Jesus never really died on the cross. He never died. In fact, the Quran, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Quran actually says that Jesus was still alive when they took him off the cross. And that afterwards, after he resuscitated, that he actually fled to India. And uh, to this day, there's a shrine in India that supposedly marks the real burial place of Christ. It's in Kashmir. Did you know that? So Muslims will claim that Jesus didn't die, that they took him off the cross, he was still alive, and that he was resuscitated. After he fainted from the torture, he was resuscitated, got up and walked around and fled to India. Um, There are other theories out there. One of them is that uh, he, after he resuscitated, after he revived, uh, he actually fled to Egypt and he fell in love with the priestess there in Egypt, the priestess of Isis. I mean, this stuff is bizarre. There's no historical evidence for this. It's all just a fabrication because people couldn't accept the veracity of the resurrection because they knew if they did that they had to accept the claims of Christ. So they started going down different paths, these conspiracy theories, if you will, that uh, Jesus was actually drugged while he was on the cross, that when they gave him the sponge dipped in vinegar, that there was a drug in there that actually put him to sleep, and therefore he swooned. He fainted. He was drugged. They put him to sleep, and then they took him off the cross before he was actually dead. And like I said, he got up, resuscitated, revived in a few days, and started started his ministry. Changed the world as a result of this. Well, this swoon hypothesis has been discounted for several different reasons, and one of them is the medical evidence, the facts of what took place when a person was crucified by Romans. And one of the experts that can share these facts with you is a medical doctor by the name of Alexander Methriel. Alexander Methriel. And Lee Strobel went and interviewed Dr. Methriel. And here's some of the evidence that he found. First, we need to talk about what took place before Jesus was actually put on the cross. And you know this, that Jesus was flogged. Now, we skip over this because we think, well, you know, a lot of us have suffered a whooping, okay? So Jesus got a whooping, right? Well, yeah, he did, but it was a a big one. It was a big one. It was called flogging for a reason. It just wasn't a few slaps in the face or he wasn't beaten while his hands were tied behind his back, as you see in some of the movies when a, when a thug is beating on somebody that he's trying to extract information from. Now, this was a flogging, and the definition of a flogging included this. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, and this is a fact. This stuff is, any good scholar will admit that these things are true because we have historical documents that tell us what a flogging entailed. The, the soldiers would use a whip that was braided the leather thongs in the whip were braided with metal balls that were woven into the, the thongs of the, the whip. 
And they also had pieces of sharp bone braided into these thongs. And when the whip would hit the back of the prisoner, of the person that they were flogging, it would cause deep bruises and contusions. And it would also shred the back of the individual that was being whipped. You know, one, two, three, or four of these blows would cause serious damage. But as they proceeded and did 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 of these of these blows, these, this flogging, it would literally shred the back of the, of the prisoner. And one physician who has studied Roman beating says this, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscle. It would produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. And then there's a third century historian by the name of Eusebius who described a flogging by saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare. The very muscles and sinews and the bowels of the victim were open to exposure. This is what a flogging entailed. And you're going to tell me that after somebody suffers that type of flogging, that they're just going to get up and start walking around in short order? Um, many people, many people were told in history would die from the flogging. They'd never make it to the crucifixion, which was probably a blessing because the crucifixion that followed thereafter was even worse than this flogging. But the point is this, you're beaten to a pulp, literally. The flesh on your back is torn away. Your muscles on your back are torn apart. The very bones down to your spine are exposed. Even to the point where your bowels are exposed on your backside because of this flogging, because they're whipping you not only with leather, but with leather that has metal balls woven into it, as well as pieces of sharp bone. And then they're dragging it across your back repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. So what I want you to think about as we reach the end of this program is let's just stop there. Let's stop there before we get to the crucifixion and the evidence of that and what the Romans actually did to people when they crucified them, nailed them to crosses. Historical facts about that. Let's stop. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Let's just stop and ask yourself a question. If somebody had been flogged in the manner that I just described and that history confirms over and over again, do you think they would have been up and about in a couple days walking around and inspiring people to follow them strong enough to carry on a ministry and start a world movement, escape to India or Egypt, and live a normal life? and inspire all of these people to give their lives for that type of treatment. Inspire people to lie about the fact that they had died and risen from the grave. Do you think that that makes any sense? It makes zero sense because people would die from the flogging itself. So the first point, the first rebuttal to the swoon theory is Jesus was beaten to the point of death before they even put him on the cross. There is absolutely no way that he could have faked a resuscitation to the point where he was just walking around teaching and leading people a couple days later. We'll get into more of the story tomorrow and we'll talk about the actual, actual evidence of what takes place in a crucifixion and how it's impossible to buy this lie, this nonsense of the swoon theory. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.